You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Well, good morning. Great to be with you here today. We're in a great series called Seven Questions, and God uses, in the book of Malachi, seven questions to refine you. How many of you would say, my life needs some challenging? Come on, my life needs some refining. My life needs some help. Some of you are saying, no, I'm good. I don't want any of that. No challenging, no help, just, just make me feel good today. And what God wants to do is he wants to assure you of his love, and that does feel good. But he also wants to challenge our disobedience. And so we're going to jump into God's word today. I want you to take your outline out. I want you to get your pen ready. There's some things that we're going to do here a little interactively together, and that's going to be great. But let me pray for us as we begin. God, we're so thankful for you. Thank you, God, for giving us your word the timeless nature of it. You're not a silent God. You communicate with us. You communicate with your people. And Jesus, even right now, I just get out of the way that you would just speak what you want in and through me, that, God, you would speak to the hearts of each person here through your Holy Spirit, God, that you would just lead them exactly where you want as you just encourage us, as you challenge us now with your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want you to let you know that people have asked seven different questions in the book of Malachi, and they're asking God, they're putting these questions back on God. Have you ever questioned God? God, why has this happened to me? God, why did this bad thing happen? Why is something bad happening to my relative or to somebody else? Why are these things? And, and people have begun to kind of to, to ask God questions and then begin to live for themselves. Because the bottom line idea is when you and I question God, which is totally okay, please hear that. When you and I question God, but then we somehow don't trust that God's going to answer, we begin to live for ourselves. The bottom line issue of so many questions that we ask is the issue of trust. If you have a, a new manager at work, you're going to ask, well, how do you want me to do these certain things? Because you want to know so you can know that the manager can trust you and you can trust the manager. You, you want to be able to trust your children that they were where they said they were last night. And you're going to interrogate, I mean, ask them questions to know that they are where they said they were, that you can trust and give them more responsibilities because you trust where they are and what they're doing. And, and you want to do it behind every question is the issue of trust. And so the people ask God first. They say, God, how have you loved us? Like we're looking at our life and things are not easy. And God's like, I never promised easy, right? But he proves in that first uh, series that we talked about, the first question God proves his love for the nation of Israel. He's saying, as compared to what's going on in your brotherhood nation, this other nation, or other things, look at how faithful I've been to you. I love you. I have loved you. I do love you right now. And I will still love you in the future. He assures them of his love. But he also wants to challenge our disobedience. And so then the second question they ask, and the third question, they're tied together. They ask God this. They say, how have we shown contempt for your name? And then they ask the question, well, how have we defiled you? And God basically says, you've defiled me by giving me blemished animals, by giving me leftovers. You're not giving me your first and your best. When it comes to your talents, your abilities, you're spending them on yourself and not for me, not to honor me with even the talents, the abilities that I've given you. And he dealt not only with their trust, but with their talents. And then he goes on, as we looked last week in question number four, they say, well, how have we wearied the Lord with our words? And we found out that God wants to deal with our talk. That when you and I applaud that which God says, 
that, that God hates, we applaud the things God hates, then we weary him with our words. God's saying, you want to have your opinion. You want to have your idea. You want to have your opinion on everything. Listen, we're going to talk about some things today, and guess what? On the inside, you're going to want to have your opinion. And everybody's entitled to their opinion, but it doesn't mean that everybody's right, right? That God is truth, that God is right. So he dealt with the issue of talk. And then today they're going to ask two questions. They're saying, okay, God, if that's where we're at, if that's where our hearts are at, because God's saying, listen, it's your heart that's at stake. Take heed, guard your heart. Be sure that you're listening to me. Be sure that you, what you're doing in your life helps your heart stay close to me as your source, as your provider, as your God. Because everything else in life is going to want to make your heart wander. And so the people say, okay, well, then how do we return to you? And then they say, how, God, do we rob you? And God wants to deal today with the issue of the tithe. He wants to deal with the issue of our hearts. And not just for the issue of the tithe, but what he really wants is that your heart becomes soft toward him. That he knows that the number one competitor for your heart is typically money. And so God, like with them, he also wants to challenge us today in the issue of the tithe. But before we get there, I want to under, you to understand just how blessed you are. I mean, I want you to understand that you are super blessed. How many of you would say, well, I know I'm blessed. I know I'm blessed as a person. Okay, lots of people all over the room, right? Some of you are like, eh, not so much. But let me tell you one of the ways among many that you are extremely blessed. One of the ways that you're extremely blessed is that you got to realize that over 3.5 billion people on this planet live on about $2 a day. Right there, you would know I'm extremely blessed, right? If half the population of the planet live on about two bucks American US dollars a day, then I'm extremely blessed. That is good news, right? Isn't it? Isn't that good news? Because some of us choose to move to America or live here, and that's great. Others of us were born here. We didn't have a choice. God could have had us be born anywhere, right? In any situation, in any condition, in any country. And yet you're born or you are blessed. That's the good news. The bad news is chances are that you are a below average giver. Now let me just say, on average, Americans who make an average income give about 3.1% of their average income to charities. And that's all charities. So about 3.1% of your uh, income to charities if you make an average income. Now, people who are at the poverty line, these are people who are, live basically at or below the poverty line, they give not 3.1%, they actually give 5.2%. So people who like make less, listen, actually give more. They're actually, they have less, they make less, they, they give more. You listen to people who are on our Mexico mission team, and, and there's a, a family there who says, you know, they just say, well, we want to make your whole team lunch. We're so glad that you came down here. We want to make your whole team lunch. And our team is saying, you have nothing. Like, like we don't even want to accept your offer of lunch because you're already living in such poverty. Like, no, 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 no. We want to. What happens is when you make less, you oftentimes give more. There's something that's different about the heart. But then our team marvels at the joy in the people because they're not bound by so many things like we are. However, those people who are extraordinarily blessed, people who are extraordinarily blessed, you don't have to live on $2 a day, you don't have an average income, you're not living at the poverty level, but you make over $200,000 a year, you're extraordinarily blessed, the amount that people who make $200,000 a year or up 
give, on average, statistics show that they give not 5.2%, not 3.1%. They give 0.7% of their income to charities, all charities. Not even 1%. Interesting, isn't it? The more blessed we are, the more that we seem to make, the less we oftentimes give. You might say, well, hey, I give a lot more than the person living in poverty, but on a percentage level, they trump you. Sometimes the more we make, the less we actually give. In the United States, it, it just works that way. And we live in a culture that is living beyond our means. We live in a culture, that we learn it from the government, right? Let's live way beyond our means, and if we have national debt, don't pay it down, just double it. And somehow it'll all work out all right in the end. But let me tell you, our government simply is doing what our individuals are doing, right? And that's why we offer Financial Peace University here. We want to help all of us break the bondage of debt, any sort of debt in that way. But I got to tell you something. God is not here today just to simply say, where is your percentage? Where is that? What he really wants to know is where is your heart? Where's your heart? He's after your heart. And God's going to test you. He wants to know, are you going to be faithful? God wants to know, will you love and trust money or will you love and trust God? And God knows that for many of us, money will be the number one competitor for our hearts. So we say, God, I love you. I do. I totally love you. But the number one competitor outside of that is going to be money. And some of you, as we begin to talk about this issue of money, especially in the church, right? You're going to begin to feel defensive. You're going to start sitting like this. You're going to start to get defensive. And you know why you're doing that? It's because you love money. That's why. Because it's the number one competitor of our hearts. Money is actually a counterfeit God. It tells us to do as we please. Right? That's why we want to save. We want to do what we want, what we please. But money promises what only God can deliver. Money cannot deliver on its promises. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, let me give you some examples. Money promises security, freedom, power, significance, right? How many of you thought, hey, I would do a lot better if I could just make a little more? Come on, let's be honest. Around this room, we could do a lot better if we could just make it a little more, and then maybe you make a little more, and then you're like, I could just, it's just never ending. I could just do a lot better if I could just make a little more, and that, that trail keeps going, and it begins to grab our heart. Money promises security. It promises freedom. It promises power. It promises significance. But only God can provide security. Only God can, right? You can be Steve Jobs, have all the money in the world, and you go to the doctor and you find out that you have pancreatic cancer. And guess what? Having all the money in the world does not provide security for you. In fact, you can't take it with you. You suddenly realize there are some needs in my life that only God can provide, only God can meet. And God, Jesus said it this way. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And the issue he's talking about here is your heart. He's not saying you can't have God and you can't have money. He's not saying that. In fact, he understands what our needs are. But what he's saying is the number one competitor for our hearts is money. And so he's saying you can't love money and look to it for your security and your power and your influence. You need to look to those things for God. And he's asking the question today, what God is challenging you and challenging me on today is, are you going to love and trust money or are you going to love and trust God? Take your outline out of your program. 
on the top of your uh, outline, there's a little statement there, and I want us to kind of say it out loud together. We understand that when we love God, we say this. We say, I will give God my first and my best so he can bless the rest. Will you say that with me? Let's say it out loud, everybody, all together. I will give God my first and my best so he can bless the rest. And that's the idea. Like, literally, today you came to church, and the fact that you're in this room is that you're giving God your first. Good job. Like, you're giving him, hey, God, I'm giving you the first day of my week, Sunday, the first day of the week. I am dedicating time in that day that is for you. In fact, as a church, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper here on the first day of the first Sunday of the month. And we're going to give God the first Sunday of the month where we celebrate the Lord's Supper. We honor God with the first. We honor him with the best so he can bless the rest. The Hebrew, the word for tithe is the word ma'aser. And you know what it means? It means tenth. It's simply a fraction. That's what it means. It's a tenth. It's a tenth. It's a, it's a, you, you, gotta, you understand what a tenth is, right? I want to give away a little money today. So I need somebody from the back sections. Nobody in these front three sections. Somebody from the back sections. Uh, I need a volunteer to come on up here if you'd like some money today. Come on down. I see your hand. Come on down. You got to run down here. Let, let that woman out. All right, here she comes. Give it up. She's coming all the way down. Right down front. Yeah. She's like, I'll take some money. She's like... She's, she's literally thinking, she's walking down here, what is wrong with you people? <laughs> awesome, what's your name? Caitlin. Hi, Caitlin, I know who you are. So um, I'm going to give you uh, some money. Here's, here's five bucks. Here's six, seven, eight, nine, ten bucks. All right, hey, Caitlin, that, that money is for you. It's from me, but i got to let you know, one of those dollar bills, a tenth, is actually, it's dedicated to me. I gave you everything. That was my money, by the way. It was not church money. That was my money. And so just we're making that clear. Um, that I've just given you 10 bucks, and, and it was all mine, wasn't it? But I gave it all to you. And so one of those, though, is holy. It's dedicated back to me. And so I'm going to ask you to give me one back. Is that a big deal for you? Not a big deal, right? Why? Because I gave you everything. Yeah, you didn't, you didn't, uh, you didn't you know, earn it. Well, you did run up here, but you didn't earn it. And, and, and you can live on the... I don't, isn't that... She's like, oh, I'm up front. People are looking at me. Um, but you can, you can, that is all that money is there for you. So have a great day. Enjoy that. That wasn't hard to give because all of it, all of it came from a different source. Now, I got to let you know, God gives you and me everything that we have. And yet he says, because I'm God, because there's a competitor called money in your life, there is a portion of all that I give you. That you're to give back to me and the New Testament is so clear about the heart of how we give. That we're not to give under compulsion. That we're not to give under any other reason but just out of joy that God, you've been so generous to us, we're going to give back to you. But God still qualifies what that is. What is the, the gift and how do we give above and beyond it in different ways. And so I want to talk with you about that today because God said in Leviticus 27 verse 30, listen to this. A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. What does it mean, holy? Holy means set apart. In other words, uh, all of it, from all that you get, and it was an agricultural society. So that it was your trees, your land, or whatever you did, your, your flocks, whatever, a tenth of that was to be given to the Lord. It was a tithe. It was a tenth. And people never understood it as anything other than a tenth. It wasn't a gift, it wasn't an offering. But what had happened in Malachi's day is that people knew this, and they had been going along, and they had been given to God. 
But after a while, they just started cutting back. They just started cutting back and saying, you know what? A tenth, a tithe, is really big. And I can do some other things with it. In fact, I've got some things that are under disrepair. I've got some needs in my life. I've got some things that have broken down. My kids have needs. God understands that I have a bunch of kids going to rabbi school, is what they would say, right? And so they had to pay for all of them to go to rabbi school or something. And, and so they were like, hey, I, we got these needs. And they started cutting back. And this is the condition that God then sends the prophet Malachi. He also sends Ezra and Nehemiah, two of his contemporaries, to assure the people of his love and to challenge their disobedience. And so this is what he says. If you have your Bible, open with me to Malachi chapter 3, beginning with verse 6. First statement, I, the Lord, do not change. He says it, qualifier. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Let me pause that right there. By the way, did you like Matt Lingo's song, Unchanging? Wasn't that awesome? Give it up for Matt. I don't know if he's in the room, but great song. And, and, and here, he's reflecting the heart of God, but I want you to understand what the heart of God is. God says, listen, I don't change. And because I don't change, you're not destroyed. You say, how does that work? Well, God says, listen, I established the law, a covenant between you and me. And if you break the law, it requires a sacrifice, the payment of blood. If I break it, then it would require that of me. But God's saying, I don't change. I didn't change. I kept the covenant. I kept my promise to you. I kept all of it. And he's saying, but what has happened is you've broken it. He's saying, I don't change. He's saying, you change. Your hearts have changed. And so you're beginning to do as you please. And God's saying, but because I don't change, listen, my great love for you, you are not destroyed. Even though the covenant were crier, if you broke your half of the covenant, there would be a sacrifice involved. God says, I love you. And so you're not destroyed right now, even though you've been unfaithful to the covenant. He goes on in verse 9, he says, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not pour out enough blessing that there will be not enough room to store it and I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines of your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. And then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. God is saying something to him. He says, listen, I don't change so that your descendants are not destroyed. He gives them a little history. You want to take the history lesson? Verse 7. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you've turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God, and yet you rob me? So first he's dealing with the issue of returning. And please understand that the people of that day would understand returning to God was not just like, God, I'm wandering in my life, and how do I get back close to you? And we think of returning means like I went away and now I need to return. And, and God is saying that's happened, but it's happened in your actions. And one of the first actions that we talk about is the condition of your heart. And the condition of your heart is revealed about money because he wants to know, are you going to love and trust money or are you going to love and trust God? And so he uses the word return. When the Bible says, by the way, you're taking notes today, number one in your outline, tithing is not giving, it's returning what belongs to God. We think we're generous. We're like, well, I gave. I tipped. 
I gave. Well, that would be like saying to Smud, hey, well, I gave you a little bit. I paid a bit of my bill. So you're not, you're not doing that. You're returning to Smud. You're returning to the power company. You're returning to your bills for the services you've received. Well, part of all of what God gives us is holy, dedicated to him. And so we're not giving it to him. We're actually returning to him what is his. He owns everything. He asks for the first 10%, and we give it back to him. So likewise, to not return that to him is stealing. It's actually taking from God. So God says, you're under a curse, the whole nation of you, right? For you are robbing me. So what had happened is for years, God had blessed his people. He had blessed them. He had blessed them. And they were faithfully returning the tithe. And then they began to cut back. They began to keep some for themselves. And then what they would say is, listen, I didn't cut everything out. I was still bringing something. But as he looked in the earlier chapters, they were bringing in a defiled animal. They were bringing not the first, not the best. And now he's saying you're not bringing the whole tithe. You're giving some, but you're not returning to me what is mine. And so he basically said, all right, well, if you don't want to honor me, I'll just let you do it without me. And so all of a sudden their crops are not doing as well and their economy tanked. And they said, if you want to ignore me, let's just see how well it goes for you. This reminds me a lot of our current culture, doesn't it? We just want to push God out, but we want the blessing of God in our nation. We want to drive God out and say that everybody else's opinion trumps what God says in his opinion. And we'll just look at the course of our nation. We're crumbling. And yet we think we can push God out and succeed at the same time. And God goes, that's fine. If you think you want to do that, let's see how well it goes for you. They forgot to bring God their first and their best. Bless you, by the way. The tithe. And today I want to talk with you about three blessings of the tithe. If you're taking notes today, here's what I want you to do. Number two on your outline is actually the first blessing of the tithe. And the tithe provides for God's work through his church. Bring the whole tithe, he's saying, into the storehouse. And you need to understand something. The picture of the Old Testament storehouse has always been the picture of the New Testament church. The Old Testament storehouse in the tabernacle, in the temple, in the Levitical system was always a picture of the New Testament church. Back then there was a Levitical priesthood. In the New Testament, we are all called priests of the Most High God. We, have, we are the temple. We have the Spirit of God living in us. And we're to be the church. We're to be the message of Christ to people in our world. And he says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. That's what's happening today. For many of you right here today, you are bringing the tithe and you are experiencing spiritual food. You're getting the word of God even here today. And what you're receiving today is this word of God. It's spiritual food. And this is great news for many of you. In fact, many of you in this room, you've actually been saved here. That you came to Sun Grove Church and you're like, I don't know, I'm looking at some different stuff. And you've met Jesus here. That God just inspired your heart and you came to him right here and right now. And then you have been receiving spiritual nourishment in your life. This church has been a huge source of spiritual nourishment in your life. And some are on the outside. Some of you are kind of spectating. But once you go from spectating to participating, you're going to see your spiritual life just grow. When you go from spectating to participating and saying, God, I'm on the outside. I'm not sure if I want to give you my life. I'm not sure I want to say yes to you, Jesus. But once you come to Christ, once you begin to participate, when you begin to honor God, you're going to watch your spiritual life grow. And it's going to be awesome. You're going to encounter God. You're going to understand his word and follow it daily in your lives. 
And then you're going to connect in a community group. And this is where you got brothers or sisters around you who are going to be there to encourage you, who are going to be there to love on you, who are going to be there to walk with you and help you and challenge you. And you're going to grow as you understand the word of God together. And then suddenly you're going to start using your gifts, these abilities, these talents that God has given you to serve his church inside and outside the church to be a blessing to the world. And as you begin to do that, you're going to say, oh my goodness, I've started encountering God. I'm growing through community and now I'm living my calling. And your life is going to be incredibly blessed as you return the tithe. The church makes an impact on other people's lives. Maybe you've been the recipient of the giving of someone else. It's a beautiful thing. I gotta let you know, in our church, we do not have a lot of really, really deep pockets. We don't have a bunch of people. I've, I've been in some other churches where you can make a phone call and get resources if you need them. Uh, in our church, everything we do, or people walk in this building, they're blown away by the building, and we say, God, it was God. We still have a mortgage, by the way. And we just say, that's the Lord. And then and they, they look, and they're just like, wow, your people are so warm and welcoming. That's the heart. That's the heart. But the giving that happens in this church is just through regular, everyday people like you and me. Children, junior hires, senior hires, college students, adults, seniors. It's just regular people. And the, church, the world gets blessed through the work of the church. In fact, last year, through your giving, just in, this, in our morning services, over 100 people said yes to Jesus for the first time. Will you give that up? 100 people. Actually, it was 101 last year. It was awesome. And that doesn't count people who accepted Christ in the community group or on a mission trip or in the youth ministries or at camp or in our children's ministries. It doesn't even count any of those. But because of that, people are coming to spiritual life, coming to new life in Christ. That's awesome. Through your tithe, we've been able to serve the poor in missions all over our communities here in Elk Grove. Huge ways right here in our backyard. Not only that, but it's extended out from Sun Grove Church beyond. When you tithe here, when you give here, you return to God what is his, it goes all over the world. Places like Zimbabwe and India and Kazakhstan and other places all over the world. We've been able to bring world relief to hurting people in the world. And we've been able to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to people all over the world. The tithe is what provides for the work of God through his church. And some of you say, wait, 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 time out. So what if somebody walked in today and they gave a check for $2 million? which means they made $20 million. Good job this year. Well done, if that was you. But let's say somebody walked in and said, here's a check for $2 million. Would we remove those bins in the back? Would we take them away? Would we turn off our online giving? No, because the issue is God gives you 100%. But he asks you to return to him what is his. And through it, God is generous. He blesses the world. That's how it works. So we would still, obviously, have those options of the ways that you could give to God through giving to his church. Number two, the tithe teaches me to put God first. You and I have to make a conscious choice to put God first, don't we? It just doesn't happen naturally. If you're dating somebody and you're like, am I going to date my way and try and get my needs and do it, you know, biologically? Am I going to do it that way or am I going to do it God's way? You have to make a conscious choice in your dating to date the way that God would want you to date. To honor that other person as a brother or sister until you marry that person before God and before these witnesses. You're going to have to make a conscious choice to do it God's way. In the same way, you know, uh, it's the same it's true with returning to God the tithe. Now, I got to tell you, as I look around the church here today, I can tell who the tithers are. I'm just looking around at people, I can totally tell. You know why? Because the people who tithe, they're like kicking back. 
They're smiling. They're nodding. They're like, yes, absolutely. I have seen God be absolutely faithful when we've tested him. I've seen God grow my faith when I didn't think it was going to work out or it would happen. And I saw what God did in my heart, in my life, in my family, in my workplace, what God did, what God's able to do that only God could do. And they're sitting back and they're nodding and they're shaking their heads and they're like, yep, yep, we understand that. We give it. That's how I know who the people in the room who are, are tithing. They're just chill. And others of you are in the room and you're sitting there and you're like, I wish we didn't come to church today. <laughs> are you serious? 10%. You're doing the math. You're thinking like, I barely have money to and what 10% would mean? You're not talking about a little thing. You're talking about like 10%. And you're thinking, this is crazy. You know, do you know what that would take? I'd have to rearrange everything. You know, I, I would have to reprioritize and make major changes to put God first. Is that what you're telling me? Yes. Yes, that's exactly what I'm telling you. It's precisely what I'm telling you. That it is, in, it is a great honor to intentionally reprioritize your life and your way of living to put God first. Do you realize when God refers to himself as the Lord Almighty, he's using his personal name. If you look in your Bible, particularly in the Old Testament, when they use the word Lord, and it's a capital L, and then it says O-R-D, and those are capital as well, they could all be large capitals, but oftentimes in English Bibles, they make it like a big L and then lower, but they're all, it's all uppercase. And what that is, that's the name, the personal name of God. And so he's basically saying, listen, says... I am. That's what his personal name means, Yahweh. It means I am. And let me tell you, when your name is I am, you don't need a bunch of qualifiers. Well, you're what? No, it, I am. It's all that's necessary, because he's God. And you're not, and I'm not. He's God. So he's saying, listen, says the Lord Almighty, saying, says I am. The God who chose you, the God who loves you, has loved you, does love you, will continue to love you. I'm the Lord Almighty. He's saying, listen, you're mortal. You're mortal. But will a mortal rob I am? That's what he's asking. And he's saying, I love you so much. Please understand. Listen, listen, listen. Please understand there's a number one competitor for your heart, and it's money. And it's money that makes you trust in that instead of trusting in God. And I experienced that, and you experienced that, and we will continue to experience that until we see Jesus face to face. We're going to feel that tension. But the beautiful thing about the, the heaven is that the tensions are removed. The tensions of life are removed. Isn't that a good news? Isn't that a good thing? But until then, we're going to feel that tension, which means it is a high honor to reprioritize our lives, to honor God first. See, it means we stop worshiping the false god. Remember, his false god's name is As I Please. That's the name of the American God. As I please. Just do what I want. Just do as I please. And it means, I'm, I'm literally telling you, that you have the honor to reprioritize and rearrange your life to honor I am. The tithe, what does it do? It teaches me to put God first. I always want to put me first. But the tithe is that built-in discipline that teaches me to honor God with the first. And so we do that. Number four, the tithe increases my faith in God. I want you to write something down, maybe, if you're a writer. If you can see it, it's not faith. If you can see it, it's not faith. 
That's just like, hey, I, I just trust that thing because I can see it. It's just, it's just evaluation. Faith is believing in what you cannot see, believing in the provision, believing in the goodness of God, believing in what you cannot see. If you had it all in front of you, if God said, hey, if you do this, then I'm going to simply do, and it was like listed right out there with very real numbers or very real blessing in other ways in your family, you'd be like, well, okay, well, now I'll trust because I can see the way that's going to work out. You realize why God doesn't tell you what your future is? Because you and I would forget him. God, what's my future? Well, this is what I want you to do. No problem. See you, God. And we would go do that. Because now we knew. We knew what the destination was. I don't need you anymore. You can actually step out of the car because I've got GPS and I've got, you know, my own little navigation and it's called as I please and I'll try and get there where you told me I'm going. That's what would happen. We do the same with our money, don't we? Are we going to trust God? Is it going to require faith? It always requires faith. But here's what God does. God says, test me in this. He says, I want to increase your faith. Because when you take a small view of God and you make it a big view of God, you will see that, there, that I am faithful. A tithe increases my faith in God. It teaches me that 90% with God's blessing actually goes further than 100% without God's blessing. Some of you are like, how does that work? And you, exactly, you need to know how that works firsthand. I can tell you time and again, I can tell you, in fact, there are stories I can tell you that I'm just saying, you, I've learned in my life I cannot outgive God. And I want to tell you some of those stories, and Heather sometimes pushes me to tell you those stories, but here's my fear. My fear is that if I tell you some of those stories, that testimony is going to come across like a bragamony right? And, and that's not what I want. I, I, I want to be able to say God has been super faithful. What I can tell you is we have been a single income ministry family with three boys who now are all in college for 22 years. And aside from our mortgage, we don't have debt. That's what I can tell you. 90% with God can go a lot farther than 100% with Dave. Because Dave will walk into debt and dave will honor himself and let me tell you the blessings of dave honoring himself are not going to bless my family god is good there was a guy and he goes i, I read a story there's a guy who went to his pastor and he said hey pastor i, I just got to tell you we are so blessed our family we're just so blessed in fact this year i'm going to make well over seven figures. I'm going to make over a million dollars this year. And he just goes, we are just so super blessed and just wanted to tell the pastor that like it had really achieved a milestone. And, and the pastor was like, wow, are you serious? The guy's like, yeah, I told our business is going great. Like it's unbelievable. And the pastor was like, wow, you must love being able to write that check and just seeing what God can do with, you know, to be able to write that type check. Because people make less. They, they can't, they don't have the privilege, the honor to return to God such a big check. And, and, and the guy's like, he goes, oh, you know, I know, I know, but, but, and he hesitated, and the pastor said, well, what, you know, like, like, you know, and the guy goes, well, pastor, let me tell you, when we made $40,000, we tithed, and, and God blessed it, and we made $60,000, we, you know, no problem, we made $80,000, no problem, God just blessed that, but, you know, but now that we're making like seven figures, it's just so hard for me to write that check, and the pastor's like, are you serious? Like, the more that God has blessed you with, 
that, that you want to just like give less. And the, the guy's like, I know, I know, I know, I know. It's just really hard for me. So pastor, will you pray for me? Pastor's like, absolutely. Put his hand on his shoulder and said, God, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would reduce this man's income <laughs> to the level where he can trust you. And the guy's like, no, no, don't, don't pray that. The pastor's like, yep, I'm praying that every single day. The issue is trust, right? The tie that teaches you and me as a discipline to trust God, it builds your faith. Here's the crazy thing. God is testing us, but not only that, in, the, in this area, he wants you and I to test him back. God wants you to test him back. Can you imagine that? You know, you go through a trial in your life, really hard time. You're like, God, that's so hard. God's not like, hey, give me a hard time back. He never says that. But in this area, he's saying, listen, I'm testing your heart. I'm testing you. But I'm challenging you to test me back. And let me throw open the gates of heaven. Let me prove to you how faithful I will absolutely be to you. This is the only place in scripture where we as humans are allowed to test God. Do you realize that? It's the only place where we're allowed to test God. Well, have you done that? No. Because a lot of you love money. It's just the way it works, right? We say, oh, I don't know, I don't know, God, I don't think I can do that. And, and you have never actually taken that test. God's saying, listen, test me. Do it, test me. Have you taken that test? Here's what I want. I want for you not to say, Dave, tell me a great story about how God met your need. I could certainly do that. It would make me cry. And there's lots of them. But what I want to do is tell you that you need your own stories. Don't live through my faith. Let the tithe increase your faith that you realize, you know what? I tested God and I found out that God is, listen, real. That God did what only God could do. And you have your own stories, not mine. You're not vicariously living through somebody else's stories, but that you're living your own testimony to see, I risked, I trusted, okay, I did that. I'm going to start from this point forward, God. I'm going I'm to tithe. And it was scary. And you watch God be faithful. And now you have your own stories, your own testimony about how faithful God has been to you. He says, test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Listen, this is not prosperity gospel. I'm not saying give to God and then God like increases money, a lot of money back to you. What I'm saying is honor God with the first and he will bless your life. And sometimes it's in the family life. Sometimes it's freeing you from the bondage of living for self. Sometimes it's, it's breaking you from the debts that you have. God says, honor me first and see what happens. It's test. He, he says, listen, test me with the tenth. Test me with 10%. Do you realize that 10 is often a number of testing in the Bible? How many commandments were there in the Old Testament? The 10 commandments, right? How many lepers did Jesus heal in the New Testament to see who would come back and give thanks? He healed 10, right? How many bridesmaids uh, uh, were, were tested in the New Testament parable Jesus told to see which of them would be prepared to enter the kingdom of heaven? How many? 10. How many tests did God put on Pharaoh to test Pharaoh's heart about whether he would let the people go? 10, right? How many disciples did Jesus have? 12. <laughs> this is testing you. 10 is often the number of testing. And listen, I'm just telling you, likely the person sitting next to you right here in church, just regular people like you and me, at some point said, okay, God, 
I'm going to test you. I'm going to give back to you the tithe. And they were scared about it. And they began to watch how God was extremely faithful to them. I will tell you that when you honor God with the tithe, God will prove himself faithful. He says, test me. Listen, put God to the test. You want to try it? And just so you know just how the church feels about money. If you put God to the test for the next three months, you say, I will do that. I will take a tithing challenge. I will test God, and I will see if he's going to be faithful to me. If at the end of three months of actually tithing, not holding back, but you actually giving God the tenth, if you actually tithe over the next three months, and you don't think God's been faithful to you, we will give you your money back, no questions asked. Test him. Test God in this. We're going to go to a time where we remember communion. We remember the Lord's Supper. That there was a God who said, listen, you've broken your end of the covenant. You've sinned. You're wrong. You're mortal. I'm God. But I love you so much, I'm going to give you my own son. And when you and I drink today the bread, uh, the, the cup, and we eat the bread, as we do that today, we're participating with the fact that there was a God who said, I love you. I love you this much. I'm not going to ask of you something I'm not willing to give. And God said, I'll give you my first, my only, my best. An unblemished sacrifice, an undefiled sacrifice, I will give to you. And when you put, you give faith to what you cannot see, you trust that the death of Jesus on the cross forgives you of all your sin. And God is saying, listen to me. It's your hearts that are at stake. This is not really an issue of money that we're talking about today. It's an issue of heart. God's saying, your heart is at stake. And how do you return to me? How do you draw close back to God? How do you get back on the right path? And so many of you are like, oh, I'm trying to do this and this and this. And God's saying, let's start with the basics. Just honor me first. And I'll teach you how to get back on some of your behavioral levels. But let's deal with the heart first. And the number one competitor for your heart is money. And God's saying, listen, you with all your money could not buy forgiveness of sins. So I'll send Jesus. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, just think about your own life for a minute. If today you're realizing you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never said yes to him, and you're realizing that today you need to start off by just giving you to Jesus, that God can be trusted, that he does love you, he has loved you, he will forever love you, but he also has to acknowledge the fact that you and I have sinned, and we need that sin washed away, and it only happens through Jesus. If today you'd like to receive the forgiveness of your sins, you pray a prayer like this right after me. Jesus, I give you me today. I ask you to come into my heart to make me a new creation, make me spiritually alive wash away my sin. I believe your death on the cross covered my sin. That you were buried, that you rose to new life, that you were God. So today, Jesus, I give you me. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.